Digital Marketing Radio, episode 224. How to market a book on Amazon. DigitalMarketingRadio.com Broadcasting live on the Digital Marketing Radio Facebook page, this is the weekly show that prizes actionable advice from today's top digital marketers. Catch up with all the previous episodes at DigitalMarketingRadio.com The Big Interview with David Bain Hello, hello, I'm David Bain and today I'm joined by an online entrepreneur specialising in book publishing. He's worked with New York Times best-selling authors like Ted Decker and the book marketing team of L. Ron Hubbard, plus also online writers like Pat Flynn and Jeff Goins. Welcome to DMR, Dave Chesson. Hey, thanks so much for having me here. Well, thanks for coming on, Dave. Um, Good to have you here. And of course, you can find Dave over at kindlepreneur.com. So, Dave... um, you have a very varied background, to put it mildly. So uh, how did you actually get into book marketing? Well, I was in the U.S. military for a while, and they kept sending me away from my family. And my wife and I had one of those moments where we were asking ourselves, what exactly is our definition of success? And it wasn't to be a admiral or to do something in the military. So I realized I was in the wrong area of life. And at that point, being in Korea... I didn't have many options for starting a business. And luckily the online world allows somebody to be able to work whenever they can, wherever they can, and still be able to make uh, an income. And so from there I started to learn and grow and I fell in love with the uh, self-publishing capability that Amazon affords authors to do and allowed a normal writer like myself to be able to create enough income to be able to be home all the time with my kids and enjoy. So are you quite a passionate writer yourself as well? No, not really. <laughs> um, to tell you the truth, uh, when I was in high school, I had uh, I got this assignment, and it was a, like it was something about like tell us a sad story. And so I decided I was going to write about my, how when my dog died, and I was like, oh, this is going to be gold. My teacher's going to love it, you know. And all of a sudden, she comes walking up to me, and she hands me back my paper, and it's just covered in red. And she goes, Dave, you're going to study physics in college, right? <laughs> I go, Yes, ma'am. She goes, Good call. Good call. So. <laughs> I've never been one of those blessed writers where I can just sit down and, and, you know, be like the next Ernest Hemingway. Instead, though, what I've learned is that through the Internet, you can find out what it is people truly want to know. And so long as you can clearly present that information to them, you're the winner. Like, that's it. So anybody out there fearing, you know, that they have to be this incredible writer in order to be able to succeed or to, you know, be able to make more than enough money to work at home. uh, I'm the living proof that that's not the case, but it does take a marketing mentality to be able to understand those things and to be able to deliver the right product for the right market. So I'm particularly interested in exploring your thoughts on producing and marketing a book as an authority building platform for entrepreneurs and leaders. So what are some of the most important things to think of from that perspective? Well, there's the truth is, is that marketing tactics are different between those who already have a sort of um, platform and a following and fandom. And then the marketing strategies for those who don't have any of that is a whole nother game. So specifically for those out there who have a following, the number one best thing you can do is to find out exactly what it is that your market wants from you. Okay. Um, there are some great writers and as a fan of them, I want to learn more about a particular subject. I don't 
I'm not going to be happy if they start talking about, you know, something else. So a couple of things that somebody with a pre-established market can do is first start off by looking at what content has been the number one thing that your fans have resonated with. If you're a YouTuber, what's that one video topic that's just driven them to the next level? If you're getting, if you have a contact page, what's the one question you continue to see or hear, or more importantly, what's the pain point that your market continues to tell you? If you have a blog, use Google Analytics and find out what article of yours seems to be bringing in the most new people, right? These kind of things can give you an understanding immediately without doing the obvious, which is just asking them what they want. Um, but <laughs> you can now create something that your people want. And that's going to be a powerful first step as you try to launch that book. Absolutely. And that should be a logical first step. But I guess you probably find that many people decide to follow their passion and write a book about something they're particularly interested in themselves without actually doing any research to see if it's likely to be something that people would want to read. Right, absolutely. And that, that kind of plays into a big part of the strategy for new authors or someone who doesn't have a following, you know, doesn't have that giant email list or what have you. For those authors who don't have a backing, it's very important that you write a book where there's a pre-existing market, okay? One of the things that exists is that on Amazon, the world's largest online shopping center in the world, right? And the world's largest bookstore, for that matter, uh, to understand that there are like, say, 2,000 people a month searching for this particular type of book, writing for that market is a much better idea than saying, I have a book inside my heart, and I'm going to write it, and hopefully people find it and like it. It's... I'm not saying that the artists out there can't write the book that's in their heart. But what I am saying is, is that if there is no market on Amazon searching for that book that's inside your heart and you don't have a fandom or following who is who is legitimately looking for that book, it doesn't mean you can't write it. But it does mean that when you do write it and you publish it, you now have to have the marketing chops to be able to go find that market somewhere on the Internet, grab them by the collar and drag them back to your book. So these are just things that authors should consider. And again, like I said, there's no one size fits all when it comes to marketing. And that's one of the biggest reasons why I started Kindlepreneur.com, which is all about teaching marketing tactics for book sales and helping authors to think from the business side of it, not just you know the, uh, the artistic aspect of it all. Okay, so you're an author, you're writing your first book, and hopefully you've done the right thing by researching that it is the kind of content that people want to consume. So at what stage do you need to consider the marketing for your book? Um, is that something that you can simply not think of until after the content is written? Or is it something you need to be thinking of all the way through writing the book at the same time? Actually, I love that you asked that question because most of the time when somebody says, what's your number one recommendation? The first thing I always say is the day you decide to write that book is the day you start marketing it. All right. A lot of people believe that, well, you know, first I need to have something before I start talking about it. Well, the first thing I tell people is when you are writing a book, it may feel like you're climbing Everest. It's a giant project. To some, it's, it's insurmountable. However, though, when you start to vocalize and tell people that you're writing it, you're almost putting yourself on the hook. Hmm. And that's a wonderful motivating factor for a lot of people out there. Number two is that when you start talking to other people, potential target market, you know, the people that you want uh, or you think are perfect for this book, 
you can start to learn about the things that they want. If you're doing keyword research, you can start to find out what your target market is searching for. What answers do they need? What are their pain points? These should go into writing your book, okay? Having input from your target market will help you to create a much better product, aka your book. Furthermore, you can't title a book or design a cover without understanding what your market truly wants. These, the people, the, the potential readers should be a part of that process. So from the day you start writing till the day you hit publish and beyond, you're gonna be marketing your book, whether that's a part of research or you know testing, it's all a part of it, but it's a wonderful process. The people who usually fail are the ones that write the book and then decide after they're finished that they're gonna start marketing the book. Yes, or even after they publish, which I guess is even worse, you know, uh, publishing and then thinking, actually, there's not too many sales coming to this. What can I do to uh, push sales? Because I guess by then, by the time it hits that kind of stage, it, it's too late. Absolutely. Um, so how do you get it so it's not too late then? What, I mean, what's the um, specifics, I guess, um, that you do in order to, once you do hit publish, you've got a bunch of people actually hitting buy um, within a day or two of that happening? Well, that's a, that's a definitely a great strategy right there, which is building your street team. Okay, as you start writing, all right, I believe one of the biggest strategies you can start to do is start to find that target market and become a legitimate person to them, okay? Most of the time when we finish writing our book, we're gonna like send out one tweet that says, buy my book, you know? And mm. I've got nothing invested in you. I'm not gonna stop what I'm doing on Twitter and click that link and purchase the book. But however though, if I've been working with you and you've been talking to me, say we met on a forum, say like we're, we're talking about how to quit smoking and there's some quit smoking forums and you've been there, you've been answering questions. I've started to notice who you are and maybe we've conversed, um, you know, we've shared some secrets, AKA uh, you're collecting good data and information and research from me as a target market, but whatever. The point though is I'm starting to understand um, that you know what you're talking about. And also I'm starting to realize that I'm sort of a part of this book, right? Mm. I mean, I've been helping and I kind of feel invested in it. You're gonna start to build this following. And let me tell you, something like 25 people that you know are going to be buyers can just totally swing a lot of what you're trying to accomplish here. Okay, so as you start to build these guys up, let them know that you're writing a book that is gonna be publishing. Potentially one thing to do is to give them an advanced review copy, an ARC, A-R-C. What this does is it allows them to read like a PDF form of the, of the book so that they've already read it, so that when you go to publish, they can then leave a review on day one. A, a killer of books is somebody who publishes and like four months later, they still haven't gotten a review. Mm. I don't care if you do advertisement or you do all these other tactics. If I go to your book and I see no social, you know, uh, authority there, I don't see anything that says, hey, this is a great book. I'm probably just going to be like, well, probably not good enough that anybody want to leave a review. I'm not going to buy it. So you can use that 25 people immediately to get these legitimate, happy reviews. So that can help you from day one. Another thing, too, that I tell people is trying to get your book discovered on Amazon. Amazon itself is a search engine. I mean, when we go shopping on Amazon, right, there's only two ways that we shop for a book. We go to the search bar at the top and we type it in and hit search, or we go to our favorite category of books and then we search for like bestsellers and things mm. like that. That second one we're gonna put to the side here. Let's look at like discoverability. In the Amazon search engine, uh, if I type in a keyword, Amazon presents me with a list of books. 
Now, if you know what those particular terms are that you want to target, the best thing you can do to rank number one in Amazon so they find you is to prove to them that when people type in this keyword, they click on your book and they buy it. So in this case, what I do is, is that I tell my 25 people, hey, instead of sending them a link, right, and say, click here and buy it, I say, hey, would you mind going to Amazon, type in how to quit smoking, find my book and purchase it? And those guys, of course, do it. And immediately Amazon's like, wow, hey, look at that. There's a high percentage of people that type this in like this book over these others that we had at the top. Right. Now, a lot of people may jump on me and say, oh, that's game in the system. Amazon's, you know, going to be one, you know, they're going to be wise about it. And that's a good thing. I think that's wonderful that Amazon does it. But what this tactic is that I just sh shared with you all is that it gives your book the ability to at least show up at the top. Hmm. If your cover and your title and your content is good and you've got a good launch, then that might just be enough to keep you up there. But while you're up there, if normal people that don't know you type in how to quit smoking and they don't choose your book, but they choose the one below it because either it's better, it's, you know, it's got a better cover or something like that, then you'll quickly fall back down. Mm. So using this tactic gives you kind of like blows up enough air so you can float up to the top. Yeah. But it's dependent on your quality and work, whether or not you stay there. That's um, a great tactic, and it's interesting that it's it's quite similar to a tactic that I've used in the past for YouTube, actually, and it's it's showing that Amazon is a search engine like Google and like YouTube as well. Because in the past, when I've launched big videos on, on YouTube, perhaps maybe an hour and a half seminar that I've given, and uh, I've wanted to drive a lot of people to it to begin with, I've paid for a little bit of advertising, but not on YouTube, on another service like StumbleUpon. So I've spent mm -hmm. maybe just $100 or so on StumbleUpon, uh, and I've also asked my own list to, if they like the video, you know, do us a favor and you know, click like and add a comment on YouTube. And through that tactic, I've, I've ranked number one on YouTube for the phrase digital marketing for, for about two years and had about 150,000 views, but just very, very similar to what you're saying. So I, I thought it was an, an appropriate story to, to share at the time. Absolutely. It, it's, you know, with these search engines, the biggest things that we can do, whether it's Google, YouTube or Amazon, is to prove to them that they delivered on the content that we want. Now, you know, with Google, it's that I've clicked on that first link and then I've stayed on the page and I've continued on. That shows that, yes, that Google, good job, Google, you, you gave me what I wanted, right? Yeah. With YouTube, it's that I clicked on that video, I stayed there, and you know I watched a certain percentage, and I even showed happiness engagements like likes. With Amazon, on the other hand, it's just a little different. You show happiness when you buy it, right? right? So not only did they show me this product, right? I clicked on it, and then I ended up buying it, which means Amazon and the writer in this case have made money. It's a happy relationship. So when you're trying to figure out how to show up more on Amazon, you just got to ask yourself, what makes Amazon more money? And that's exactly how they design their A9 algorithm to work so that that book or that product shows up at the top. So in terms of the tactics that work best from a book marketing perspective, do you expect that to change much over the next few years? Are there going to be many more hard copy sales or Kindle sales? Do you expect Amazon's algorithm or perhaps even AI or people's increased use of smartphones to perhaps change the way that's, that marketing is done in the future? What, what are your thoughts just in, over the next couple of years, just in general? Well, from a product standpoint, there's no 
no need to kind of think about those that at all, you know, whether it's like ebooks versus books or so, because one of the beautiful things about Amazon is that as a self-publisher, I can not only I I not only can create Kindle books with just a couple clicks of a button, I can then go to create space and click uh, and create print books. So in truth, I write one book and I can get it on Barnes and Noble, iTunes, Amazon, create space. Um, you know, I can even send it to ACX for somebody to create an audio book. So it's almost like bye bye publishers. I can quickly do this and have access to all that. So all the different markets are accessible to us self publishers or to us, you know, online marketers, which is a wonderful thing. Now, as it pertains to the market, I will say that back in 2011, there was like a Kindle gold rush where it was like the peak moment to ever write any books. Um, you could just about write anything and, and you would just about make a lot of money. And people started to figure that out. Next thing you know, there was 4.5, or actually I think it's 4.8 million Kindle books on Amazon now, amazon.com. So the question is, is that because there are more books, does that mean that we cannot gain a footing in the, in the market? And the answer is no, actually it's the good thing about Amazon is they like to fresh, keep books fresh. So one phenomenon that I've noticed that when I launch a book or so is that the first month to three months, it depends on the competitiveness. Uh, there's this thing called the Amazon honeymoon period. And in this part, you know, Amazon and, and the new book, oh, we got a great relationship. Everything's wonderful. Um, they kind of beef you up. They give you a little bit more love. They show you more. Um, you may even see your like an advertisement for your book, you know, because of cookies. But that's a whole nother su subject. But you're going to see all this love. And at that moment, if, you know, your sales don't continue on beyond that, right, then Amazon will say, OK, time to date somebody else <laughs> <laughs> now. As somebody who has a platform or has an email list or has a little bit of marketing chops, this is where you can just kind of kind of drip, you know, some of your sales and presence into it and keep that relationship burning. Whereas with a new author, on the other hand, you know, there are particular tactics, um, you know, what I call wheel wheelbarrow tactics that they're going to have to employ. And just kind of expound on that wheelbarrow tactics to me are where you've got to keep working to keep it going. So just like a wheelbarrow, right, mm. you got to pick it up. And then you got to walk <laughs> it. But the moment you put it down, it stops moving. Sure. Right. So those are a couple of things. And for some of those new authors who are probably scratching their head saying, I don't want to carry a wheelbarrow forever. I tell them, look, get your first book out there. Right. Mm. Start building your assets, build book two and three, link them together. And they're going to start to kind of help each other out. As somebody buys book one, they're going to be like, wow, that was a great book and buy your second and third. Mm. But more importantly, if you're looking to build a business with books, you need to start looking at building your platform, getting that email addresses so that when you publish book four, you can have both sides. You can have the keywords and you can start sending all your fans to buy your books. And next thing you know, now you have the ability to drip and build and grow and hit those six figures and all that jazz. Well, in a moment... We're going to be moving to the second part of our discussion where I'll be asking Dave about the software that he couldn't live without. But first of all, um, I'm not sure if you know about this, Dave, but um, I've published um, a book myself called Digital Marketing in 2017. Um, so that's where yeah. um, in December of 2016, I actually had 107 digital marketers all on the one show. It was a mad show. I had one person on every two or three minutes or so sharing their number one tip for the year. 
So that's all included in this book and edited, of course, thoroughly by myself and into nice categories. And um, that's available, of course, through Amazon, um, published on Create Space as well. So you can get that at digitalmarketingin2017.com. Um, but uh, let us segue into the second part of our discussion. So that focuses on Dave's thoughts on where digital marketing's been and where it's um, heading. So starting off with software, I couldn't live without. So Dave, what software do you currently use in your business that if someone took away from you, it would significantly impact your marketing success? Well, I won't go with the obvious one, which is my own software that I created. Created it to help myself. But let me tell you, the software that I use is kind of the the layout and format to that. Um, I'm a big fan of Arefs, A-H-R-E-F-S.com. Uh, sure. And I'm an SEOer, not going to lie. I've always been about understanding those search engines and what triggers them to show who. And ranking my websites number one in Google has been an instrumental part to the lifeblood of my business. It's what allowed me to make Kindlepreneur.com, you know, get 100,000 readers per month and just kind of come out of nowhere. The and with AREFs, it gives me insight into exactly what people are typing in into Google. Mm-hmm. So I, my favorite tactic with it is that I'll find a couple of websites that I think, you know, are very popular, very well written, and I'll put them through AREFs and it tells me what their best keywords are. I can immediately tell what their lifeblood is. And one of the funniest things I've learned using AREFs over the years is that you'll almost find that every successful website out there has, you know, maybe one to six articles that truly account for like 80% of their lifeblood. And it's hilarious. There are a lot of website owners that don't understand that if they lost that one article, say it just stopped ranking, they would lose 80% of their business, Hmm. you know? Or the other thing too is that without understanding what your most important articles are, you're kind of open for attack. Somebody else could beat you out in the rankings. The next thing you know, your traffic drops, drops significantly. You know, the statistic right now is that ranking number one in Google as compared to number two is like double the traffic. So to drop that one point hurts. And so with AREFs, I'm able to track my keywords. I know what's going on, how my website is doing. I can look into the inside of other websites and I can figure out what's working for them and if that fits for us and beat them out. And so it's given me a competitive advantage that allows me to excel in the online world. And so using the importance of that, we actually created software that kind of does that for Amazon, specifically for books, with a goal is to understand, hey, if I have this book idea, I can type it into the software. I can figure out that this is what people actually type into Amazon and how many people. So in a way, are people searching for this, you know, for books? Are they willing to pay for it? And is the competition too great? And so we created kdprocket.com off of that. Superb. And I loved the fact that you suggested the software, but also talked about strategically how you actually use that as well. And I'm, I'm sure that'll be very useful. And so um, interesting what you were saying about the number one rankings bringing in so much traffic compared with the number two. I saw a study um, done by AWR, another uh, software um, rankings tool. And they were saying that um, but since 2016, over the last year, uh, 2017, the click-through rate on the number one position has increased significantly, the number two just slightly, and all the other rankings have a significantly reduced click-through rate compared with the previous year. So it's it's all going to the first result, yeah. Well, from a context perspective, um, a lot of people, you know, think, oh, to grow my website, I've got to write another article, and hopefully that's going to be the one. 
But sometimes, you know, if you're if this one article is ranking number four, if you can just get that one thing up to number one, that could be a game changer for your business. Yeah. So a lot of content creators out there have the opportunity. They just don't understand that. And software like AREFs, you know, or SEMrush is their competitor and just as good. They'll be able to tell you that and you can quickly figure out what you need to do so that you can change from getting a couple of reads to holy crap, this is awesome. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and another reason why number one is important, of course, uh, before this skews into just an SEO conversation, which it probably could very well, <laughs> but um, is that um, it's all about number one, because voice search is meaning that the search engines only provide one answer. They're not going to provide multiple answers. You're going to get one answer as a result of voice search. So you have to be number one. Absolutely. And to turn this back to Amazon, you know, for anybody who's doing like FBA or writing books, the ability to get your product at the top in a search result is the difference between not a click or anything. It's the difference between a sale or no sale. Mm, absolutely. So the, the stakes are even higher on Amazon. <laughs> well, here's a slightly more challenging software question, and that is what piece of software don't you use, but you've heard good things about and you tend to try at some point in the near future? Well, I guess Confusionsoft would be the one. <laughs> I call it, I <laughs> yeah, I call it Confusionsoft mean. because that's what I've heard over and over again. Um, I right now use GetResponse for my email. To me, it does more than enough. They have this great new workflow system that's, that's pretty phenomenal. It looks like Drip for any of the email people out there. It looks like it's as cool as Drip, but it's a lot cheaper. Okay. The problem, though, is, is that as my business is growing, it, it's becoming a lot more important that I be able to do extra little things and these hardcore tagging. But, ugh, God, I'm not looking forward to having to pay for a teammate to work that thing. <laughs> I know. I mean, you don't necessarily have to go there. I mean, I'm a big fan of Zapier, which um, helps to integrate, you know, different APIs together. And you can look on there and see other marketing automation solutions that integrate with, you know, the different pieces of software that you happen to use as well. So it might be worthwhile looking on Zapier to find another solution. Well, right now I'm paying about $350 a month to Zapier right? okay, <laughs> just well. to port some things over. So I don't know. At some point, I'm going to get to that point where it's probably more uh, economical to go with Infusionsoft. Interesting. We'll see. Interesting. Okay. Well, let us move on to you. I wish I would have. And that is, I like. I'd like you to look back on the very first day that you're involved in trying to market a business online. What didn't you do so well? What do you wish that you would have done differently? Well, the biggest thing when I first started, I mean, a long time ago, I, I tried Facebook ads as my as my kind of traffic generator. And this was back when Facebook only had the sidebar and that's it, right? You remember those little tiny pictures, Absolutely. you know, and then you had a, it wasn't in the news feed. And the the funny thing was was that I I think I I had a lot of success at that time, uh, but I pivoted. I was like, "Ah, well, you know, this isn't working out as as much as I thought." And so I moved to to SEO. Luckily, I got stuck in SEO and I did that. But the truth is is that looking back at it, if I just stuck to Facebook ads back then, back when it was somewhat of a new thing, mm. I really think I could have done a lot of incredible stuff and and would have been, you know, in the market in the beginning. So I guess the best thing is, is to, if there is a new market, you're the first there, work hard, and you're going to enjoy the benefits that people talk about. We talked about the gold rush of 2011 and Kindle publishing, right? Mm. The guys who were publishing way back when uh, KDP was a new thing, yeah. oh, they raked in the money, and that's because they stayed, they stuck it out, and they learned. 
good for them. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny, the, the gold rush in the internet era just hits every few years a slightly different thing. You know, five years before Kindle, it was Google AdSense. And that, that was just yes. so incredibly easy as well at the time. Yeah, the time. <laughs> let's move on to the this or that round. So this is the quick response round. So ten quick questions, just two rows here. Try not to think about the answer too much, and you're only allowed to say the word both on one occasion. So use it wisely. You ready to go? Yes. Twitter or Snapchat? Twitter. Facebook or LinkedIn? Facebook. YouTube or Facebook Live? YouTube. Mobile or desktop? Desktop. Website or app? Websites. Paid search or SEO? SEO. Oh, yeah. Outreach or advertise? Outreach. Email to one or email to many? Email to many. Social subscriber or email subscriber? Email subscriber. And local marketing or global marketing? Global marketing. And you didn't even need your both there. After a, a bit of struggle in question I, number three, which was YouTube or Facebook Live, what, what was that? Um, well, then I'll, I'll make that one both. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm about to hit Facebook Live uh, extensively, to tell you the truth. Right. And the reason being is that if I'm making a YouTube video, and this is where I was trying to think quickly, and you're like, don't think. And I was, I was like, ah, what am I doing? But if you're creating a video for YouTube, just hit another camera or something, but look for the ability to reprocess that or repurpose that content yeah. on Facebook Live. Maybe take the recording of the Facebook Live and put it on the YouTube market. So now you're getting YouTubers as well as your Facebook social media. So in almost, I'm trying to work it so that they're both one and the same, but I'm getting both benefits. Absolutely. I mean, this recording um, that we're making at the moment, um, we'll, we'll have thousands of people download and listen to the audio version. Uh, we're broadcasting it live on Facebook. Not many people uh, will be watching it live on Facebook, but it'll gradually get a few hundred people that watch it on Facebook. Uh, I'm also happening to be broadcasting live on YouTube and Periscope at the same time as well. So maybe okay. about 50 people will watch it on Periscope as well. So it's, it's, it's good to be in multiple places if possible, if you can keep your content, I guess, native to that platform as well. Most definitely. Let's move on to... The $10,000 question. If I was to give you $10,000 and you had to spend it over the next day on a single thing to grow your business, what would you spend it on and how would you measure success? I would quickly create a landing page with a free opt-in and do Facebook advertising um, and measure the conversion rate of people who signed up for the email list. Luckily, I've got a back end, so there would be sales as well in there. Okay, and so Facebook advertising, we were talking about video previously, would Facebook advertising also incorporate video as well? Oh, you betcha. Yeah. I, from everything that I've seen and heard or so, there's nothing better that converts than a video that feels like a real video, not one of those super whammadine, awesome studio videos. Interesting. Yeah, a real personal video as well. Um, I was talking to a couple of chaps um, the previous um, episode of um, Digital Marketing Radio, and they were saying, actually, if you make it a 9 by 16 video, so the opposite way around as normal, then it'll take almost um, the whole screen on a mobile device and be a lot more effective there. So, And, and that's just a natural looking video, someone holding their phone as well. 
So it's, it's interesting that um, more natural personal type um, production appears to be converting just as well, if not better, than professionally produced videos. Well, when it comes to online marketing, one of the things that we, we are starting to shift towards is we want to buy into people. We don't want to buy into companies. Yeah. Um, seeing this corporate looking video doesn't make me feel any more connected with you or your business than a personal insight into your home or as into what you're doing. Yeah. So absolutely. My number one takeaway. Well, Dave, you've offered a lot of great advice in a conversation, but what is the number one takeaway? What's the single most important step that our listener just needs to take away and implement within their business? Well, it's sort of an underlying theme to everything that we've talked about. But one of the biggest things I think any marketer can do is to focus on one particular traffic generating uh, source and master that. Uh, you know, my regret was is that I didn't just stick with Facebook ads, but luckily when I chose SEO, that became my focus. And every point type version of my business has always utilized that one skill. And that's what's allowed me to single handedly be successful as I've moved forward. Yeah, great tip. Because um, 10 years ago plus, um, you could quite easily do many different areas because there weren't that many competitors in, in, in most areas online. So you didn't have to do a good job and to get to the top of the rankings in whatever type of marketing activity you were focusing on. But now there are so many great players out there, unless you're supreme at that particular method, then you know, you're not going to get that number one position where all the traffic is, as you say. Absolutely. And to even go further with that is that w the way that we work, especially people who are out there, you know, who are new, we hear, oh, Facebook, Facebook Live, Facebook Group, YouTube, you know, uh, publishing, um, podcasts, websites, like not one, no one person out there can do all of that. Mm. And if you see any of these big time, you know, businesses that are doing it all, it's because they have a dedicated team who one person's responsibility is to totally rock the Facebook, you know, world. And the other person is their SEO and their content creator. So don't spin your wheels trying to run in different directions. Focus on one and you'll actually get further towards your goal. Otherwise, you're going to feel like you're just spinning your wheels and going nowhere. Wonderful. Well, that takes us to the end of our discussion today. So thank you so much for your time and your advice. What's the best way for a listener to find out more about you and what you do? If you go to kindlepreneur.com, that's kindleentrepreneur.com, uh, you can find me there and hit me up in contact. And if there's any questions you have or something I glossed over, I always respond to that. So I'll talk to you there. Interested that you said uh, King, Kindlepreneur and you also said Kindle Entrepreneur. I take it Kindle Entrepreneur redirects to kindlepreneur.com as well. Not yet, but I might as well buy that URL right now. All right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. I thought that, that, that would be a good, good thing to do. But yeah, um, anyway, I will also include the link in the show notes at digitalmarketingradio.com. So wonderful stuff. Um, so thanks to Dave and thank you, dear listener, too. If you have an opinion of what Dave shared today, tell us what you think. So the Facebook page is facebook.com slash digitalmarketingradio. You can tweet me at David Bain and please to remember to subscribe to the podcast if you're not already. So you can do that at digitalmarketingradio.com slash iTunes for iPhones or digitalmarketingradio.com slash Android for Android devices. But until we meet again, be fantabulous and do one thing that scares you. Adios. Cheers again, Dave. Awesome. <laughs>